I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. In this episode, Lake and Maya talk with C about gender-affirming care. They discuss what gender-affirming care is and some of their experiences with it. Enjoy. Um, all right. Well, welcome, C, and welcome, Maya. Um, C, we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us today and to have some really important, some enjoyable conversations is my hope. So we appreciate um, you kind of being with us. So today we're hoping to talk about gender affirming care. Um, this is something that I think I hear thrown around more and more recently. Um, but my assumption is that most individuals really don't know what that actually means. You know, if we say gender affirming care, what does that mean? So I guess my first question to you would be, can you kind of summarize what gender-affirming care might be, what it might look like? Yeah, so gender-affirming care as an overarching definition is any kind of professional medical care um, that just works to kind of support who you are in your gender transition, um, you know, for trans people. So this can be any kind of psychology, psychiatry. Um, it can be anything as small as from getting um, hormone replacement therapy, HRT, to something as big as getting big surgeries. Um, Gender-affirming care can also kind of help kids be legally acknowledged as their gender. Um, so a lot of doctors can write you know, notes um, to get their IDs changed, their birth certificates changed. Um, they can get you know, letters of recommendation for schools to change their IDs. Um, I know for where I am in Indiana University, um, you have to have a doctor's note that says this person is trans to get your gender marker and your name changed. Um, which is for the school. Uh, yeah, for school. Um, you know, everyone's different. Not every school is going to question you like that, but a lot of schools are kind of like documentation, which can also come from um, doctors who can give you gender from care in that way too. So, yeah. So, I, I think I didn't want to jump into this so early, but right off the bat, that kind of hits me with this like money, like is the first thing mm. that comes to mind when you start to list off all of these things where to me, like, having your gender marker be correct on forms is something that I would assume is important to a lot of people, mm. but it occurs to me that that's an expense, right? To go to the doctor yeah. and, and like, is, I don't even know, is that covered by insurance? It usually is not um, because they usually, you know, like you can label it as their general checkup or gender affirming care checkup um, with the insurance. And so if they cover the appointment, you know, it's covered. Um, but then you also have to think about the time it takes to apply and get these things registered. Um, a lot of states require you to pay money to actually change the documents. Um, and then you also have to find transportation to get to a BMV or um, a court to actually get these things changed as well. So even that can be more money than it should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of barriers that exist to do something that to me seems like it's kind of a human decency, you know, to refer to people in the way that they want to be referred to and to, um, to mark somebody's gender in the, in the correct way. So, wow. Okay. I didn't realize all of the expenses that went into it too. You know, I, I didn't consider the fact that it's not just the lack of insurance potentially, but also the 
potential other added expenses. So, yep. and I assume that for many people, that's, that just makes it an impossibility. Mm, it's definitely something that's very difficult, especially if you already can't afford, you know, even anything outside of just the necessities, it's a lot. So, wow. Okay. So I didn't want to get into the price conversation so soon. So, <laughs> so let me bring it back. So when we talk about yes. gender affirming care, it sounds like a lot of what you had mentioned is actual is, is medical care um, that, that seems to be larger scale things. So medical care about gender or transitions or any of these types of kind of care routines, but does gender affirming care also show up in just your routine dental exam or your routine eye doctor check or physician's visit? Absolutely, yeah. Um, not to say that trans people need to be treated differently, um, but you know, even just acknowledgement can go a long way. Some doctors will have to change, you know, the way they have their files for you. Um, sometimes, you know, when you have hormones, they can also change how you develop in other ways as well. So they have to take into account those things um, to kind of say, okay, so this can also be an issue, um, especially, you know, unfortunately there are side effects that can come from doing, um, you know, hormones that you weren't born with. Um, so that can sometimes come up if you have to do the ER for an issue. Um, you know, a lot of people don't think it's a medication, but you should list it because sometimes there might be an issue related to that. Um, and so even going to the dentist, that can be kind of gender affirming, um, because then if you are uncomfortable with a certain types of gender, um, or just certain dentist, you don't think is going to acknowledge you, then that is something you can go to them and be like, Hey, I'm trans. I feel like this is what's going to be comfortable to me. Um, can you please accommodate me? And then they can be like, okay, we'll do this for you. Um, and so, you know, even dentists can be like, I am for trans people. And that is what I would consider gender affirming care as well. Okay. So does this kind of, I, I think it's interesting to hear you say that because it sounds to me like sometimes there are potentially doctors who say like, potentially like this is something that we specialize in, but that also sometimes the, the burden is on an individual to have to call doctor's offices and make that, make that ask, which I assume can be kind of a difficult ask um, mm. of different kind of firms. So I guess what I'm curious about is like, how common is it that people are actually advertising or proactively seeking gender affirming care or, or a firm is actively kind of doing gender affirming care? Mm, I think that it's hard to say. It's been a while since I've really tried to search just because I know who I can trust um, in my own system. Um, but I will say searching for like psychiatrists and psychologists has been something I had to do early this year. Um, and it was interesting because a lot of doctors will like specifically put if they care about trans people or not or LGBTQ people in general, um, which is really nice because it definitely is a big thing. A lot of people who are trans and queer, they have what issues related to that. And so having someone to talk to about that is probably one of the biggest things to look for in a psychiatrist um, or psychologist. Um, and so I feel like for, you know, more basic doctors, you wouldn't think about being specifically for gender feminine care. Um, it definitely isn't something that comes up unless you do kind of talk to them like, okay, I know my name, <clears throat> my name legally says this, um, but I need this instead. And that's when you can kind of learn the hard way, I guess, whether they're going to be like, okay, we'll acknowledge it or no, we're not going to take care of you. Yeah. I was actually talking to Adrian yesterday, who's, you know, our executive director, um, mm -hmm. and her past is in social work. And she had said something to me. She said, you know, if you have a mental health specialist 
who specializes in something, or you have a mental health specialist who has some sort of like lived experience. For example, you know, if we talk about the LGBTQ community, somebody who specializes in, in that work or someone who has that experience as part of the community that people flock to that person, you know, because we, we actively seek out people who have those experiences. I know for me, when I was seeking out a new therapist, it took me months of Googling people and trying to find somebody who I thought really was similar to me because I thought that would be most effective. Um, so I, I would assume too, like, is there almost like, I, I mean, I assume a lot of Googling, a lot of searching happens, but I'm curious also, like, is there a lot of word of mouth? Like, Hey, you know, I, I had this person and they are amazing. They had these things in place. Yeah, there absolutely is. Um, Cause you know, it's like, you can easily find someone who's like, I support these people. And then you show up and they're like, well, I mean, I read some articles and I got you. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. it. Um, and you know, um, my, both my psychologist here and the kind of gender affirming care doctor who does my HRT, um, I heard about because a lot of my career friends were like, hey, these people really are advocating for you. They will go and fight insurance for whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so my psychologist is kind of deemed the gay psychologist in town. Um, which is very sweet, you know, like she really is the definition of an ally. So a lot of word of mouth is, you know, probably the most important um, and very common. Does she know that? Does she know that that's how people see her? Oh, 100%. She owns it. (laughs) She really does. That's awesome. I just want to quickly touch, you said HRT. um, So I just want to make sure that everyone knows what HRT is. Can you just touch on what that means? Yeah. So HRT is hormone replacement therapy. Um, and it can look different for everyone. You know, for most people, it's going on testosterone if you're transmasculine or estrogen if you're transfeminine. Um, and sometimes, you know, people go on a mixture of the two, um, especially if you have some kind of bottom surgery um, that requires you to go on some kind of hormone. Um, like if you are um, an AFAB um, assigned feminine at birth, then if you get a hysterectomy, you have to be on some kind of hormone. Um, And sometimes people will mix those and that can also be HRT, which that is something that isn't just for trans people. It can be for cisgender people as well. Um, And sometimes people go on antigens, I believe, which is kind of like a mixture of the two, but it helps balance them out if you have too much of a hormone that isn't going down. Um, So yeah. So it sounds like a layer then of gender affirming care is this familiarity with hormone replacement therapy, um, you know, it's not only kind of those steps to make sure that the space is comfortable, that names are correct and pronouns are being used, but also just legitimately knowing the medical science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think another component too, is also just understanding gender period. Um, and how, you know, you may have someone like me, for example, I usually wear a lot of quote unquote feminine clothing. Um, but, you know, I also take a small dose of testosterone, you know, and I go by um, different names <laughs> for my gender and different pronouns. Um, and so, you know, even understanding that I had a psychologist for a little bit that was confused by it. So she put like um, for the insurance, I can kind of see what the diagnosis is for, you know, why that I came in the visit. And she would put dual role transvesticism, uh, which basically just means that you dress in the opposite gender clothing. Um, because she was like, okay, well, I get that they want to be someone else, but not officially. Um, you know, and so even just understanding 
how gender and gender expression can be separate, but still blend together is a big part of that too. And I think I hear that, especially in what you just said, but also kind of throughout everything you've said, but it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity where somebody, where individuals need to advocate for themselves, where they need to be their Mm -hmm. own advocates, which um, I think is a common theme throughout medical care, um, kind of in general, oftentimes is that individuals need to be self-advocates, but it sounds especially so in, in this case that, you know, it almost sounds like people are really not trying to get the full picture or they're yeah. not willing to have that conversation or just don't even have the, maybe the, the full story or the full education to understand, you know, what you're talking about. Like you said, they need to even understand gender to have proper gender affirming care. Yeah. So, yeah, especially, you know, the bigger you go, the more important that is. Um, Because I can walk into, you know, my general wellness checkup and be like, here's my situation. They'll be like, okay. But, you know, if I walk into a plastic surgeon, for example, and I'm like, here's what I need, then you really have to make sure you're ready to kind of talk to them and then, you know, their higher ups and the insurance. And it definitely, it takes a lot of strength. which is probably, I think for me, the highest cost of someone who's more passive and, you know, you can say something I don't agree with and I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) You know, Um, and it definitely is a really, really important thing. Even if you just have a friend or a parent or some other healthcare professional who is willing to be the advocate for you until you gain your own voice, that can be, you know, very important as well. So does that do like, you know, and and I guess speaking maybe anecdotal from, either your experience or experiences of others that you've talked to, um, does that ever lead to those moments where you kind of just have to take the doctor's word as it is? And for those individuals who maybe are more passive or um, who maybe are more afraid of that confrontation, that they don't have the ability to push back when they experience something that they don't see as right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I went to a psychiatrist. I've been testing a lot of people this year. Um, so I went to a psychiatrist and I specifically told him, I was like, hey, I'm trans. Here's my pronouns. Here's what I really want to do. Um, you know, I, this is before I started HRT. So I was like, here's a thing that I kind of want to consider. Um, I know you can't do it for me, but if you can recommend me to someone, that'd be great. Um, and he was like, yeah, we'll figure it out in a few weeks. And I was like, I mean, this has been a thing for a few years. (laughs) And he was like, no, I want to see you be consistent and strong and believe in it. And I was like, again, I can tell you my whole story. This has been a consistent thing for months. Um, And that was one of those moments where I was like, at the end of the day, I can't take his pen and paper and make him sign a thing for me. You know, I just had to sit there and be like, okay, fine. (laughs) I'm either going to come back to this man and continue to prove myself or I'm going to find someone who believes from the start, this is what I need. Um, and I chose the latter instead because it was just a lot. So yeah. yeah. Well, I think that ties right back into what you said all the way at the beginning, which is that was money that you spent. That was time you spent. You had to drive there. You had to do all of these different things. So mm-hmm. even if your decision was to stick with that individual and to kind of wait out that period they were talking about, that's additional funds, you know, or the choices, mm-hmm go somewhere else. So, I mean, that's a huge financial burden just to get somebody to acknowledge. acknowledge. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that experience. Oh, go ahead, Maya. 
sorry even just like an energy like thing like it costs a lot of energy I'm sure Mm -hmm, for sure yeah because it was you know I really did I drove out of state back to my hometown Cincinnati to see this man and you know it was just a lot to sit in there and talk about my psychological problems and then also follow that through with by the way here's something that affects all these things and after I pour my whole heart out he's like wait a minute (laughs) let's stop this conversation right now we can do everything else but this and I was like wow this is more spoons than it should have been you know so did you end up going back? I did not. I, he like had me schedule appointment. There was something else that happened with just billing that the whole office was like, you have this bill, but they never sent it to me. And so I was like, no, but even before that happened, I decided like walking out of there, I was like, I need to find someone who understands me from day one because, you know, socially I should approve myself to other people and teachers and you know, whoever I work with. And so I was like, I don't need to do this in the medical field as well when I have the choice to find someone else, especially if I'm paying money to do it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess to kind of close out gender affirming care, I'm sure there's a lot we could talk about, but what I'm curious about is if there's a medical professional who's struggling with where do I start and understanding gender affirming care, or in bettering themselves and being able to serve the LGBTQ community um, or the trans community specifically, what's an easy way that someone can start that maybe is pretty meaningful? Mm. I think a very easy place to start out is to search for stories, you know, similar to mine of people who have struggled to find a doctor who really wants to invest their time in helping trans and queer people. Um, And just look at the stories of where those doctors didn't do what they needed to do for their patients um, and then say, okay, here's what I shouldn't do. And then, you know, kind of from their brainstorm, here's what I can do, here's what I know, here's what I should learn more about, about the community and the trans experience. Um, Here's what I should know about what the insurance will do for them and different policies they cover. Um, because, you know, sometimes you have to know how to advocate, not just for them in, the, in your office, but then for them in, you know, the terms of insurance. So really just looking for stories of people who struggled a lot, who are patients and kind of say, okay, here's how I'm going to come in and make this right for them if they show up in my office. That's great. Yeah. And, and I think it's an interesting kind of conversation to be had about privilege as well. Um, and I think a layer of privilege that honestly, until having this conversation, I really hadn't thought about much is the privilege that if I go into a medical establishment, that medical establishment is designed to serve somebody with my very specific needs. Mm-hmm. You know, that medical establishment is potentially, I've never had a doctor ask me my pronouns. I've never had a doctor, um, ask me any of these, these different types of questions. And so, I mean, I think that's a privilege that all of a sudden now I'm going to be thinking of when I go into medical institutions, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Which it was one of the things I didn't even realize until I transitioned. I was like, wow, I really have to like introduce myself (laughs) to get started first of all, Um, because they really don't ask, they don't think about it. They don't see, you know, when you try to sign up and call on the phone and say one name, but then legally or this other name, like they don't really realize unless you come out and say, here's what I need from you. Um, so, yeah. So I guess I'm curious, does that phone call ever get easy to a medical institution to, to ask about gender affirming care? Or is that a, 
is that always going to be a hard question? I think it has been easier for me to actually do it on the phone um, because when starting out, I was nervous to call, period. <laughs> um, and so then to have to like add that extra bit on, I was like, you know what, me being passive again, I was like, I'll just wait until I can see if they're a good vibe or not. Um, and, you know, now I'm at the point where I feel like, again, like if I can't do that and of course I still have anxiety, they're going to say, no, we don't support this. Um, but just to say it, you know, I feel like it's very important for me anyways to just start it off right. <laughs> so it's gotten easier, but still the same amount of stress, I would say. Have you ever um, actually had somebody come out right and say, no, we don't do that? I have not, luckily, um, which has been great. Um, but again, you know, I still have that suspicion of, oh, what if I come in and they're going to be like, actually, just kidding, <laughs> you know, um, which again, I haven't had explicitly happen. The closest I've gotten is the doctor who was like, okay, you need to prove to yourself that you can really identify as what you want to identify as. Um, but yeah, so fingers crossed that doesn't happen to me. Um, yeah, I hope so. Well, and, and I think, you know, just like you just said, there's a, a distinct difference in saying, sure, we can do that and actually following through and being that advocate that mm. individuals need. You know, we want our medical experts should be advocates for us. Mm. All right. Well, see, we really appreciate you sharing your story and sharing a little about gender affirming care with us today. 